Good morning. Welcome to Boiling Springs Baptist Church. We are glad that you are here to worship with us today. If you are a guest, we welcome you here. Um, We are glad that you have chosen to worship with this congregation. Also, this coming Wednesday, July 4th, the church offices will be closed and there will be no evening services or activities. We hope that you enjoy time with your family and friends as we celebrate July 4th. We are glad that you are here to worship with us at Boiling Springs Baptist Church today. We welcome Michael Brotherton to the service today. Um, He's a student at Gardner Webb, so we're so glad to have him to accompany us today. Our hymn is My Country Tis of Thee, number 701.
want to thank Kenny Collins, our own church member, for playing Tiffany today. I would invite you to follow along and listen with me as I read from the book of Lamentations. I'm going to be reading a short passage from the message version of the Bible in Lamentations chapter 3, starting at verse 19 and going through verse 24. Lamentations 3, verse 19 through 24. I'll never forget the trouble, the utter lostness, the taste of ashes, the poison I've swallowed. I remember it all. Oh, how well I remember the feeling of hitting the bottom. But there's one other thing I remember, and remembering I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. God's merciful love couldn't have dried up. They're created new every morning. How great your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God because he's all that I've got left. No matter where you are on your journey of life this morning, We welcome you here to Boiling Springs Baptist Church. We are glad that you are here to worship with us. We don't expect you to have your life figured out. We as a church are a people in desperate need of God's voice and presence. And we are glad that you are here today to worship with us. This morning I want to read to you a verse from Isaiah. And it says, verse 10, So do not be afraid, I am with you. Do not be terrified, I am your God. I will make you strong and help you. I will hold you safe in my hands. I always do what is right. Now I want you to take a gummy, any color you want. Okay, now I'm gonna take one. Now, sometimes we see people that do this when they get married and they talk about the circle of love. But today, we're gonna put this on our finger as best we can. We'll see, you did really good there, Rylan. But I want you to think about this as your best friend. Do you have a best friend? What makes them your best friend? You don't know what makes do you, it's because you do everything together? Yeah, how about you, Emily? Do you have a best friend from school? Well, my best friend, I love dearly. We talk all the time, we share. My best friend holds me up when problems get too hard. They make sure I feel okay. My best friend is so strong that when I don't feel good, I know my best friend is right there on my finger because my circle never stops. It never goes away. And if you took this gummy thing away, you can see it's really strong. It's not gonna break. That's how strong your friendship is. I can count on my friend all the time. But do you know what's special about my friend? He's your best friend too. Because you know who my best friend is? God. My best friend is God. He is my rock, like we learned about today in Sunday school. He's not like the sand that your friendship falls through. He's the rock. He loves us, he holds us, he keeps us strong. He's always there for us, just like this ring that we're putting on our finger. I want you to remember that. And as troubles happen, or even just to say thank you, God, for something special, remember he's always there. Can we do that? Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are our rock. You keep us up. You keep us strong. 
And when the days are bad or the days are good, we know you're there, Lord. Protect my children, keep them safe, watch over them as they're beginning their walk and their faith with you, they're beginning to trust, beginning to talk. And more importantly, Lord, they're beginning to listen and learn. Protect this church, this families, each other, and keep us safe. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. If you are here for the first time, like Alan said, I would welcome the opportunity to speak with you briefly and get to know you a little better after the service. I'll be in the vestibule and would welcome that opportunity. I want to take just a moment before I pray to do a couple of things this morning, and one of which is to ask all of those who have served at some point in any branch of our service here in the United States, if you would please stand this morning and allow us to honor you. Now remain standing, remain standing. I wanna ask all of you who would like to stand in memory of maybe a mother or father or someone who has gone on who also served in the military, if you would like to stand in their memory this morning, would you also stand? Thank you, you may be seated. We certainly need to remember our country and all the many challenges that are before us yet. As we move further into the summer, some of you may have already read the newsletter that came out over the weekend or you've seen that uh, little note in your bulletin this morning, but the month of Proverbs has 31 days. Three summers ago, I was a newbie here at Boiling Springs Baptist Church and issued a challenge to read a chapter of Proverbs a day. And I am bringing back that challenge. It was good for us then, and three years it should be good for us once again to do as a church. Many of you have read, many of you read Proverbs at other times. I enjoy going often back to the book of Proverbs. It's full of practical wisdom about daily living, about family and career and uh, how to deal with the world that we're, that we're living in. And so I want to challenge each of you as a church family. It's fun to do these things together. Is, uh, today is July 1st, so before you go to bed tonight, if you would be willing to accept this challenge, is to read uh, chapter one of Proverbs, and if you were to miss a day, just stay with it and catch back up, uh, but it is full of practical wisdom that I think will serve us well. And as we move later into July this summer, our sermons will be looking at different sections there in Proverbs. I want to invite you to remember several with me this morning in our prayer. We have many in our church family today that need our thoughts and prayers and uh, concern at this time. One of which is Price Hamrick, one of our newest additions. This is the little boy of Miles and Melissa, Alyssa, and um, hopefully he's coming home today from the hospital there in Shelby, but we want to remember little Price. Also, many of you are well aware that uh, Pat and Clyde Bowen have had some transitions and health concerns this week. Pat, I mean, excuse me, Clyde is now at uh, White Oak in Kings Mountain and uh, in a home there, and we want to remember him, but also Pat has had a very difficult week this week. She was in Shelby Hospital and then is now trans was now transferred to um, Concord Northeast and for some further testing, but remember this family and their sons uh, during this difficult time. Harry McKee um, recently was diagnosed with multiple myeloma and is headed to Charlotte in the AM for some further tests. And we want to remember Harry and Magretta and, and their family at this time. We want to remember Jane Surratt, who will be having surgery on July the 12th uh, to remove some spots on her lung. And uh, we want to be mindful of them, uh, of, of Jane and Lynn. Tom Poston is now at Carillon here in Shelby. And uh, we want to be mindful of his concerns and also Jerry Green, and Reed Murray, uh, we, um, they're in our thoughts and prayers. And then we, of course, want to continue to remember many of those who are traveling, not only today, uh, but in the coming week this week. Again, we are glad that you're here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once again. God, it is our desire in everything that we do today to lift high the name of Jesus. The one who walks with us on the good days and the one who is there with us in the deepest, darkest valleys. The days when we simply don't know how things are going to move forward, how we are going to move forward. Lord, you are there calling out to us with your light, with your life, with your hope. And so, Father, we claim the promises that are within your word, the promises that say you'll never leave us nor forsake us. 
We have many within our congregation today, some who are here today, but some who are not. Lord, who are going through uh, a dark night of the soul, if you will. Lord, going through some very difficult trials physically, but Lord, some who are just going through some difficult situations in life right now. Lord, we know that we serve a God who is active, who is at work in our lives each and every day. Sometimes we may not always be able to see it. We may not always be able to understand, but Lord, we do know that you love us, that you care for us, and that you were working good in the midst of what is otherwise sometimes terrible situations. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to see the ways that you are working. Father, for the situations that may seem hopeless in our lives right now, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us words of hope, words of comfort. For those this morning that are in need of direction about their life, maybe career, maybe family, maybe other things, Lord, I pray that you would, as they look to you, as we look to you in worship and song and word and preaching, Father, may they find that direction that they so desperately need today. For those who come here today and as we look at the subject of grief, as we see where David was deeply grieved over the loss of both King Saul and his best friend Jonathan, Father, we know that that grief is is apparent here with us this morning. Some it may be years ago, and for some it may just be recent. But Father, walk with them. Extend to them your light and love and hope in the midst of their darkness. Father, as we think about our world today, our hearts are burdened about our country. And we lift up our leaders. We lift up those who serve and protect. And we pray for their provision and their protection. Bless those who are not with us this morning, who are traveling on the road. May they experience rest and renewal this week and bring them back to us safely. Thank you for providing for our needs, and Lord, help us to be the people that you have called us to be. Help us to love and to live as you would have us to. Father, we commit the remainder of this service to you, and we ask this prayer in the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, amen. Our hymn is number 62, God of Our Fathers, number 62. If you are able, please stand and join in singing.
pray with me. Lord, it's good to be in your house again today. It's good to feel your presence that we can live in a free country. We thank you for that gift that so often we take for granted. And as we come to this time of the service, when we give back just a small portion, Lord, compared to what we have, but I pray that we will look into our hearts and give the big gift, give all that we ha can, and then give of our lives totally. Help our gift, help our lives to be used for you. <coughs> protect us this week, protect us each day, and thank you for our church, that we can come together and worship freely. For it's in your name I pray. Amen.
have your Bible, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 1 or turn in the Pew Bible to page 240. I'll be reading chapter 1, verse 1, and then verses 17 through 27. After the death of Saul, David returned from striking down the Amalekites and stayed in Zilzag for days. David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son, Jonathan, and he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. It is written in the book of Jasher. A gazelle has slain on your heights, Israel, how the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashlechon lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. Mountains of Gilboa, may you have neither dew nor rain. May no showers fall on your terraced fields, for there the, the shield of the mighty was despised, the shield of Saul no longer rubbed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the flesh of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. The sword of Saul did not return unsatisfied. Saul and Jonathan in life, they were loved and admired, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. How the mighty have fallen. The weapons of war have perished. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bonnie. Pray with me once again. Father, I pray that my words and those of Mary Newcomb will be pleasing in your sight. Bless this time. Speak to us in ways that we need to be spoken to. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite music artists is a man by the name of Matt Kearney. Most of you probably haven't heard of his music. Uh, if you haven't, I would encourage you to check it out. It would be for some, but maybe not for all. But in a song that he has on the radio called Closer to Love, he has the words that say, we're all one phone call from our knees. Many of you can relate to those words. When you think about a time where you received that phone call and your world changed. It was maybe a phone call about a family member in an accident and they didn't pull through or it may have been just something that went wrong with someone's health, and that phone call, whether literally or symbolically, brought you to your knees. And from that point forward, things were different. One such phone call, I remember very vividly uh, when I was in middle school. It was one of those first times that I experienced death uh, in my immediate family. But uh, I was on Highway 158 that heads out of Winston-Salem that goes towards the small town of Reedsville, which some of you in the room have connections to. And uh, I remember my dad pulled over at a payphone. Yes, it was in the late 80s. So my dad pulled over at a payphone and talked to his younger brother, Roger. And he came back to the car and told all of us, uh, my mom and sister and I, that Granny had a brain tumor and that the doctors had given her six months to live. And it was less than six months later that my grandmother passed away. The phone call that sticks out the most in my mind that brought me to my knees was one that I received 11 years ago yesterday, June the 30th. I was outside on a warm June morning in King, North Carolina, just outside of Winston-Salem, washing my car, and received a phone call from my dad to let me know that my mom had been in an accident in downtown Hendersonville. As she was walking across the street to the curb market, she was struck by a man in a large SUV. Dad was at home, he was notified by someone who called him, and as he arrived on the scene, mom was 
leaving in a helicopter, headed to Memorial Mission Hospital in Asheville with TBI, for those of you who know that, traumatic brain injury. When he arrived there at the hospital, the doctor met him and said, um, or you know, asked him, are you the, the husband? And, and he said, you've got two choices. One is you can say goodbye now. And dad didn't appreciate the doctor's bedside manner at the time as well, but the doctor said, you can say goodbye now or we can try surgery, but the outcome still may not be good. And I, I failed to mention too that on the way I received that second phone call uh, that dad and he let me know how serious things were while I was on my way to Winston, which was about a three hour drive, to Asheville, which was about a three hour drive from Winston. And um, some of the most difficult 24 hours or uh, week of my life. Uh, on Thursday, July the 5th, the family made a decision. Mom had the surgery, of course dad had the surgery. If there was any hope, we had to hope that something would happen there that would be good for the surgery. Things did not uh, progress well after the surgery and on July 5th as a family, as mom was hooked up to life support, we made the decision uh, to take her off life support. And a couple hours later, mom passed from this life into the next. That'll be 11 years ago this coming Thursday, July the 5th. As you can imagine, this was a tough time. Mom was a 68-year-old healthy lady, have a one-year-old grandson. Uh, Renee and I uh, packed uh, his belongings and you know how that is for the young parents in the room and we headed to Asheville as fast as possible. But things were not supposed to play out like this. Things were not supposed to happen this way. As I think about this past week, some of you have shared with me in some grief and in some loss, but on Monday morning, we uh, celebrated the life of Devron Helgeson. Uh, most of you in the room didn't have the privilege of knowing her. If you visited in our nursing homes on a regular basis, you had the privilege of getting to know Devron. And so Monday, we celebrated her life in this room. On Thursday, I gathered with a group at Turner Trucking to remember the life of Jimmy Needham, a driver of uh, 24 years, if I remember right. I may be off a year there, but a driver for a long time with Turner Trucking who lost his life in an accident there in Texas um, a little over a week ago. Many here know that grief can take us to a dark place. We find David in this dark place today, and I appreciate Bonnie reading that so well, but uh, King Saul, who David revered, he, despite um, Saul's uh, change of heart there in his latter years, David still respected and revered King Saul, and he was extremely devoted and loyal to him, despite the change of heart that took place in King Saul. But not only had King Saul died, but his best friend, whom scripture says that the soul of David and Jonathan were knit together. And if, it's, if it says they're closer than brothers, that would probably be accurate for David and Jonathan. But tremendous relationship. And David has just learned in today's reading is why he's asking the nation to lament. He's asking the nation to cry out in grief. He's just heard of the loss of King Saul and his best friend, Jonathan. This was a terrible time of grief in the life of David. With this grief, um, profound, many of you can relate with David and wonder how light and life can ever emerge again. Some of you have been there. Barbara Brown Taylor, a name that some in the room will recognize, writes in her book, Learning to Walk in the Darkness. She writes these words, if it happened in a cave, it happened in complete silence, in absolute darkness with the smell of damp stone and dug earth in the air. Sitting deep in the heart of Oregon Cave, I let this sink in. New life starts in the dark. Whether is it a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb, or Jesus in the tomb, it starts in the dark. Some here know what it's like to be around the uh, laughter of strangers, or to smell the flowers, or to hear the sounds of birds on a bright sunny morning and it feel, feel a little bit like an affront. Just a little too happy, a little too pretty, a little too chippy for how we feel in our soul. Perhaps we're not ready to move out of the darkness quite yet. Taylor also writes, I have learned things in the dark I would have never learned in the light. 
things that have saved my life over and over again so that there is really only one logical conclusion. I need darkness as much as I need light. God holds us in our grief and he saves us in the midst of it, even there. God is at work in us amidst the pain and the loss. We grieve the loss of those we love and it may not be necessarily death. It may be that something significant has happened in our lives. It may be that this person is with us but something has changed and we grieve because we know that once what was will no longer be. We grieve the injustices in our world today. You can't help but watch the news and read the paper or your tablet or phone and be grieved over the injustices that we hear both locally and around the world. The title of the sermon series for the last six weeks has been God at Work. We don't like to admit to this, or, or, but we do acknowledge it and we do believe it's true, I feel, I hope, that God is at work in the midst of human suffering. In the midst of the pain, God is saving us amid our grief by being right there with us as we walk in the darkness. Amid David's grief and dark night of the soul, God was present molding and shaping David into the mighty leader and man of God that we know him to be. None of us would dare ask for grief. Grief means we have lost something of irreplaceable value. This morning we have Mary Newcomb coming to share her testimony. And I appreciate, Mary, you can come on up. I appreciate Mary's willingness to share. Um, Mary's gonna share with us uh, a word of testimony about light and hope in the midst of a dark time in her life. Mary, you come and share. To begin, I would just like to say, I know that grief can take many forms. Detachment, bitterness, anger, despair, none of which are wrong, odd, or abnormal. Grief is also an extremely touchy subject because everyone grieves at some point in life and everyone grieves differently. There's no one way to grieve because there's no one experience of grief. Each experience of grief is its own world made up of relationships, intimacy, trust, hopes, and dreams. Because of all that I've just said, I know that my experience of grief is only one glimpse of a mountain that everyone must climb at some point. The passage in 2 Samuel that was just read shows of David mourning for the deaths of Saul and Jonathan. David fought alongside Saul and was a revered warrior, but David loved Jonathan. Here again, David's lament for Jonathan in verses 25 and 26. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain upon your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. Hear how this echoes the friendship depicted in 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. When David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. When I heard of the sermon series and caught a glimpse of the desired testimonies in connection with the scriptures, I asked Heath if I could share. I'm not much for being in the spotlight, and I have feared for speaking of my story of grief for some time, but I was undoubtedly being led to this moment. You see, I had honestly never heard of the story or the relationship of Jonathan and David prior to about six years ago at a funeral where I was being told how hard it must be to lose such a sanctified friendship, a friendship that was just like that of David and Jonathan. I nodded and I moved along with no real understanding of the analogy. Yet the relationship of these men has been something that I have revisited often since that time. I suppose for the sake of clarity, I should back up just a little bit and for the sake of time, I may jump around also. Paige Kriegel was my very best friend. We were closer than sisters and completely inseparable. 
both my parents as well as hers, simply accepted the fact that they had inherited another daughter. And more than likely, when our parents got home, one of us would still be at the other's house. We were a package deal. We were a force. My church experience really began in April of my freshman year of high school, when I attended a church event, D-Weekend. Paige had been asking and asking, begging me to come to her church, until finally I decided to go. It was at this weekend that I began my questioning, searching, and seeking of truth. I asked question after question, unaccepting of any service level answer or reasoning I was given. I began attending the home Bible studies on Sunday nights, then Sunday school, then church, until I made the decision to be baptized in December of my sophomore year of high school. From that point until my graduation, I was at church as much as possible. I interned with my youth minister. I led the seventh grade Sunday school my senior year. I chaperoned children's camps. I led Bible studies. I went on mission trips locally and internationally. I was devoted. I was on fire. I loved God, and I wanted everything to do with the church. My freshman year of college was a blur, as most are. Despite the newness of transition, I would remain tethered to my constant, Paige who was attending Appalachian State University. Every Tuesday and Thursday, I would sit on the swing outside of Strap Hall at Gardner-Webb and talk to Paige on the phone for hours at a time. It was at the encouragement and prodding of Paige that I decided to submit an application to be a focus leader in the coming year, a position I excitedly accepted just a few weeks later. Around the same time, Paige found out that she had been chosen to be the director of Summer with the Arts, a week-long camp for children in our community that took place every summer at our church. Everything was looking great. We were both growing closer to God, taking on leadership roles, living to be the hands and feet of Christ. It was beautiful. The week of Summer with the Arts, hundreds of kids came to our church to begin the camp. The first day went seamlessly. The kids were learning and growing and having fun, and it was amazing to be a part of that. Paige's sister was moving to Kenya to be a long-term missionary and teacher the day camp began, so Paige had to leave early that afternoon. Pictures were taken, there were tearful goodbyes, her sister got on the plane, and Paige and her parents returned home. The next day, July 24, 2012, Paige was not at church first thing. I thought it odd, but was assured by staff that she was just sick. She must not have been responding to my calls because she was probably just resting. I didn't stop calling. The day went on and the kids gathered in the MPB, our LEC if you will, for lunch. During lunch, I received a phone call from a friend and stepped into the lobby corridor to answer. Hello? Uh, hey, Mary. So I just got this text saying Paige died. Is that true? I collapsed. Life began moving in slow motion. I gave no response, hung up, and stumbled back into the MPB. I found, our me I found our minister of media first. I looked at him with tear-stained eyes and tried to tell him what I had just heard. He grabbed me by the shoulders, rushed me out of the room, and said, you can't do this here. Retrospectively, after being in church ministry with Alan for over four years now, I can understand what he was trying to do. Paige was known by all, loved by all. There were hundreds of children who felt deeply cared for by Paige in that room. They couldn't know yet. No one was supposed to know yet. See, Paige never woke up the morning of July 24th. A mystery that remains to this day as a completed autopsy was returned inconclusive. But that morning, her body was taken to a hospital 
where a nurse recognized her and leaked information that spread like wildfire in the worst way possible. The problem was, I internalized those five words. You can't do this here. It became a motto of sorts. Bottle it up, be strong, because you can't do this here. The following weeks were numbing. Over a thousand people came to celebrate Paige's life. Her parents asked me to speak and somehow I did. About 50 people were allowed at the private funeral, a white casket in a small chapel. The death of Paige rocked our church to its core. Paige was the epitome of sacrificially loving as Christ loved which means she made a huge impact on so many people. In the weeks and months that followed, I withdrew inside myself ever so gradually. I was angry, I was confused, I was sad. All the while I kept thinking, you can't do this here. I put on a strong face and moved back to school. I pretended like I was near to God as I took on the role of focus leader. I pretended like I was okay because I couldn't be a bad Christian. I couldn't let the church see me suffer. I couldn't do this here. But the problem is that suppression is real. And suppression doesn't work because what you feel finds another way out. For me, it came through physical illness. I began getting violently sick constantly. I was no longer able to sleep. I cut off relationships from anyone who knew me before Paige. I wanted nothing to do with that life. I wanted nothing to do with God. After all, God was the one who took away my best friend, right? I detached and the church I found refuge in throughout my high school career let me go. People couldn't see me without thinking of Paige. I know that my presence brought pain and I couldn't do this here. When I began dealing with my physical expression of grief, I was in and out of various hospitals and doctor's offices. I began trying different therapists throughout the months as well. All along the way, I was only allowing pieces I thought were allowed in grief to be seen. I hid a lot. The pieces I was hiding, though, took over. I ended up self-admitting to a psychiatric hospital in February of 2014. I allowed the darkness to overcome me. I didn't know what I was supposed to feel, let alone that I was allowed to feel. I thought I was supposed to be strong in order to be a believer in Jesus. I thought that my overwhelming emotion, my self-harm, my desire to kill myself, to stop hurting, I thought that all of that meant that I failed. I thought that meant that I was no longer accepted by God because I had no longer been accepted by the church. But God did not give us the spirit of timidity, but rather the spirit of boldness. Boldness doesn't mean that I'm strong. Boldness doesn't mean that I put on a tough face and get through it. Boldness is feeling. Feeling with absolutely everything that I am. Vulnerability is boldness. And church, we need more boldness. We need to see that the best thing we can offer someone is space to be and feel however a person needs to be and feel. I can't tell you how many times I've been thrown a verse by a person just to never hear from them again. I can't tell you how many verses still have a bitter taste in my mouth because they were used as lip service for those who wanted to be there but not get their hands dirty. We have to be willing to get our hands dirty. We have to be willing to be a presence when there feels like there is no presence. If we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we need to show up. 
We need to provide the smallest of ropes to latch onto before someone else falls into the darkness. For me, it felt much easier to let myself fall into the darkness. But God's faithfulness, despite my unfaithfulness, is beautiful and it is the picture of grace. If you've heard of the story of Alan and I, you may know that we were engaged in April of 2014. That was just two months after my stay in the psychiatric hospital. And we were married in December of that same year. Alan came into my life when I was faking it as a focus leader. We began dating when I was messy and broken in September of 2013. Alan never tried to fix me. Alan didn't give me answers or try to explain the mysteries of God through cliches and shallow quotes. Alan simply showed up. He was used by God to be a presence in a time when I wanted nothing to do with the presence of God. God was faithful through Alan. My parents, my parents paid medical bill after medical bill, sent me to appointment after appointment, and cried and suffered and walked with me when I thought I needed to just give up. Despite my pushing, my parents never gave up on me. My parents never gave up on the God in me, the God they knew to be the maker and keeper of my life. God was faithful in my parents. It doesn't take much, but the body of Christ, the true embodiment of what it is to be the church, the faithfulness of God despite my rebellion and unfaithfulness for me was seen in these people. The faithfulness and power of God is unfathomable. The church is to be a vessel for this power to shine like a beacon into the darkest part of people's lives. Grief has the power to change you, for better or for worse. Some people will change with you as you navigate your new normal. Some people won't be able to understand, and that's okay. The beauty is that amidst all we feel and go through, amidst those who stay and those who go, amidst the rebellion or the tighter grip we may have on God, God will and does remain faithful because God is love. God does not cause our suffering, but God surely suffers with us. God feels with us. God aches with us. And God will not stop loving you ever. But there's one thing I remember, and in remembering, I keep a grip on hope. God's loyal love couldn't have run out. God's merciful love couldn't have dried up. They're created new every morning. How great is thy faithfulness. Thank you, Mary, for being vulnerable this morning and sharing your story. Pain of grief, pain of loss, and your healing. You in the room have experienced that. And um, it's a place we don't like to go. It's a place we don't want to be. But nevertheless, life and its circumstances often can bring us to that place. And Mary, thank you for sharing a strong word of hope that God is with us in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that loss. Uh, at times, we, like you said, we uh, well-meaning people say good things, and sometimes we might say the wrong thing. But uh, the presence of your, of your friends and presence of others who, and Alan, who just... Um, was with you in the midst of that. But thank you for, for sharing that with us this morning. Um, I've shared a poem at funerals before and I wanna share it with you this morning. And it goes right along with some things that I've said and that, have, and that Mary have said and the power of presence and what that means in the midst of grief, in the midst of loss. By Robert Browning Hamilton and it says this, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all that she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me.
The pain of separation is real, but sorrow and grief are not the only agenda for the Christian. We know and serve a God who brings light and hope amidst our darkness and our grief. Came across a story this week that I just have to share that's a great way for us to close this service on such a difficult topic. In her book, First We Quit Our Jobs by Marilyn Abraham, she, um, she writes these words. We signed up for a hike with a ranger who told us a remarkable thing. When a tree's life is threatened and stressed by the elements of fire, drought or other calamity, it twists beneath its bark to reinforce and make itself stronger. On the surface, this new inner strength may not be visible for the bark often continues to give the same vertical appearance. Only when the exterior is stripped away and when the tree is felled are its inner struggles revealed. God can use our grief to strengthen us in ways that are not visible to the world. This morning, some of your outer bark looks like everything's okay. But some of you are like that tree in the midst of wind and fire and storm. You're twisting and turning on the inside. Your outer bark looks good, but inside you're hurting and you're grieving. The promises in God's word are true throughout his word. We can think of and look at David's life, but we can think of Psalm 23, we can think of John 14, and we can go throughout the scripture and quote promises and quote scripture. But the truth is, what Mary and I have both said, God is with us, wanting to speak life, wanting to bring his light, and wanting to bring hope in the midst of our darkness. I want to mention two things in my final words. One is, if you don't have that light and that hope in the midst of your life right now, whatever that life might look like, maybe it's not darkness, but maybe it's just you're going about your life and um, Christ is just simply not a part of it. I would love more than anything to talk with you about how he can be a part of your life. But maybe you are in the darkness this morning and maybe you just need to be reminded of the words that have been spoken, both through Mary and through God's word, that God is with you in the midst of the darkness. We're gonna sing an, an old hymn, an oldie but goodie. I think that it's called, I Need Thee Every Hour. And many of you know this. And I don't know where you are this morning, whether you're on the mountaintop and everything's peachy king in your life. Or maybe you're in that lowest, darkest valley. Many of you are probably most likely somewhere in between. But this hymn reminds us that he is truly with us and that we honestly need him every hour, every second of every day. If God is speaking to you this morning, I would welcome a conversation. If you need to pray uh, here at the altar by yourself, the altar is open. If uh, you need to talk with me and pray together, I would love the opportunity to do that. Father, I thank you for the service today. I thank you for the boldness and the vulnerability in Mary that she has shared this morning about a painful time in her life. Lord, for the, the places that you have brought her and the things you've done in her in the midst of this. Father, I know she is grateful. We're grateful for your presence in our lives. Speak to us now in this moment, in this hour. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing the words, hymn number 404, I need thee every hour. <laughs>
you again. Mary, thank you again. That didn't make the microphone. And Mary's parents are here, and we're glad that you're here today, and so be sure to speak to them before you leave. But speak to a couple people that you haven't spoken to yet. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for hope in the midst of the darkness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.